Good morning, good afternoon, good evening around the world. Welcome to the Global Chamber special Globinar and also global podcast of Global Chamber. Uh, we, in the podcast, pick very special people, and we have one of those today. Debrina Ustun is an attorney at law at Ustun Law. She's the founder. She's a, an attorney that is particularly adept at immigration. However, she also covers all sorts of business law. What a, what a background she has. Uh, originally from Bulgaria, living uh, and working in Dallas, Texas. She uh, works with companies primarily and individuals all across the US and the world, really every country. Um, and so she has a practice that for the last several years, because of the emphasis on immigration, has undoubtedly been exciting, uh, interesting, frustrating, and probably some other descriptors that are not publishable here on this podcast. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure Debrina is, is so adept and, and so knowledgeable and so smooth in terms of how she would describe it, she'll be able to do it much better than I. We are going to talk about immigration today. We are going to talk about global business law. And who better to have than Debrina? Debrina, welcome. i just really pleased to, to speak with you more today. Why don't we kick off by just maybe, if you could, just give a little bit of a background on yourself and correct any mistakes that I have, may have made in the introduction, please. <laughs> Uh, thank you that actually um, everything you said was perfect. It's true. I, I don't need to correct anything. So uh, so thank you. Thank you for the introduction. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, um, originally I'm from Bulgaria. I moved to the United States uh, back in 1999. Um, I had my own immigration journey into the, into the United States. Um, it took a few years, more like, you know, 10, 12 years before I actually became a permanent resident and then ultimately US citizen. So, um, and then I didn't have enough of that excitement. So I decided to become an immigration attorney to continue the journey with other people. <laughs> um, currently I'm in, uh, based in Dallas, Texas, um, but given the, you know, that I practice immigration law, uh, we have clients uh, from pretty much everywhere as a company or uh, individuals and, you know, families as well. Um, so I handle um, anything from startups uh, that are in the United States and trying to hire, you know, their first H-1B or apply for a permanent resident for their star employee to mid-sized companies, uh, to some, you know, large companies as well on, you know, individual basis. Um, in addition to doing the immigration paperwork, you know, sometimes the companies also um, retain for um, just to review their, you know, do internal audits in their, for their immigration work or do some kind of immigration policy for their company in the event that they, um, they get a government audit. So it's pretty, you know, pretty diverse practice. Uh, oh, in addition to that, you know, we also do some pro bono work. Of course, you know, we always have to do pro bono um, with, the, you know, helping uh, Afghan refugees um, in light of the, the crisis since like the, you know, end of August. 
So, um, so that's kind of, you know, what I do um, in, you know, in, in a nutshell. <laughs> okay, very good. I, I would like to cover the Afghan uh, situation a little bit later in our conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, in the meantime, I know uh, we all know that the immigration situation in the U.S. has always been difficult. Uh, the last several years has been more. I mean, how have you maintained your sanity and are you optimistic about the future? <laughs> yeah, uh, maintaining sanity, no challenging, but, you know, we did it. We made it. Um, it was it was challenging, uh, especially for, uh, you know, for for our clients it's, it, on the employer side and on the employee side. So the main challenge for employers was obviously, you know, the employer um, has um, has this, you know, uh, multimillion dollar project and they cannot get their employee or their star employee to actually implement the project and ultimately losing the project. So, you know, we had a few cases where um, the employer basically lost, you know, multi-million dollars um, on, because they couldn't get the, the people that they needed on time. Um, so that's obviously, you know, that's unfortunate. Uh, it's frustrating and, you know, to, to say the least. Um, so those were some of the, the challenges. Obviously, then you have employees who are stuck outside the United States um, trying to trying to come or their you know, families. One is here in the United States, the other one is stuck outside the United States because of the visa ban and whatnot. Um, so those, you know, those were, you know, those were very challenging times. Now, uh, it's still challenging, I want to say, due to COVID and the things that happened, you know, the last two years, the backlogs and, you know, basically the way the U.S. government handled this, you know, whole COVID, COVID situation, um, it just created backlogs for, I mean, for years to come. Um, they were even on the record the other day because there's a lot of litigation right now for delays um, and they were on the record that uh, like a couple of weeks ago saying that currently immigration services has more than 9 million pending cases. They don't even know how many, but they know it's more than 9 million. Wow. <laughs> um, so, you know, obviously that creates a lot of anxiety and, you know, you cannot really like plan. Uh, but, you know, in the meantime, we, you know, we are starting to see a little bit, you know, improvement, at least from the government's perspective, we're a little bit more responsive in the sense of when you send an email, you know, you probably will get a response. So we didn't have that, you know, in the last couple of years. Now it's a little, a little bit better. Okay. Oh, that's, that's, I guess, progress. That That's good. Yeah. I mean, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you mentioned about uh, U.S. employers, uh, well, actually, you mainly mentioned about foreign employers, I think, coming into the U.S. But U.S. employers also can uh, sponsor and bring in foreign employees as well. Um, what are some of the options and processes there, and, and what's the outlook? Um, so the most common uh, scenario is uh, a U.S. company, you know, based in the United States, hires initially hires a, um, you know, a international student on F1 or you know OPT uh, to work for them for one year uh, out of school, and then they could they could file for you know for their H1B change status in the United States, and then they will have the employee uh, for maximum of six years. So that's the most common you know sort of path. Um, the other option.
option is, you know, if that U.S. employer finds somebody outside the United States, you know, they can also petition for their work visa H-1B with immigration services. Or um, if the U.S. employer uh, has an office outside the United States, let's say, you know, they have a subsidiary or their headquarters, you know, are outside the United States and they have a subsidiary in the United States or vice versa, they can, you know, they can bring their employees from the foreign office into the United States using multiple, uh, you know, options like H-1B or um, the, the L-1A, which is the intercompany, you know, intercompany transfer. Only thing is, you know, they have to be obviously patient because because, you know, the, you know, one thing is, you know, here immigration services, as I mentioned, you know, they have so many cases pending and, you know, it's a little slow, but then also we have our, you know, the U.S. consulate outside the, you know, obviously United States, um, they're also, they don't have a lot of visa appointments. So in order for you to get a visa, you have to schedule for a visa appointment. And somebody was telling me, a client was telling me the other day that in, for example, in India, they'll just release like, you know, three appointments a day and you have like, you know, thousands of people waiting. So, <laughs> so you know, uh, that could create a little bit of a uh, anxiety. Um, but, you know, it is it is possible. The good news is, though, the, the travel ban, uh, so people will be allowed to come to the United States starting November 1st. So we won't have the travel ban anymore. Of course, uh, the U.S. government will require foreign travelers to have a, um, a COVID vaccine. So that will be the requirement to enter the United States starting uh, November 1st. So that's, you know, that's the good news. At least now we'll, we'll get some travel. Okay. So, so interns, for instance, foreign interns, there's a gr certainly a greater probability of that uh, happening uh, going forward. Yeah, so if, um, you know, if the if you if you have a US employer, uh, you know, trying to get interns, or, you know, like kind of having a sort of, you know, long term planning, they can, uh, a lot of them recruit from uh, US universities. So let's say you're a tech company, and you need, uh, you know, a few software engineers, um, you can, you know, you can recruit from uh, from US universities, international students that, you know, are about to graduate or have graduated already um, and employ them either for one year uh, or, you know, three years, depending on their, uh, you know, employment authorization. And then ultimately they can uh, petition for their H-1B or permanent residency. So that's the, you know, it's very common. That's how a lot of uh, US employers, uh, you know, get interns and then they turn that into full-time employment. In these different scenarios, whether it's a U.S. company bringing people in or it's a foreign company bringing people in, you know, how do you get involved, uh, you and your team? What's the what's the connection point? Who do you work with typically at, at the companies and how does that work? So so for me, it's always, uh, you know, the company is the client. So the, the company is responsible, uh, you know, for, um, you know, for the um, for the for the fees for that's how immigration works. Um, employee uh, should not pay anything, including attorney fees or uh, filing fees for the USCIS. So most of the time, no, actually all of the time, the, you know, I get involved with the, with the employer. So usually we do get involved with, uh, you know, first, depending on the size of the employer. So if it's a startup, um, obviously my communication is, you know, with the president or the CEO. 
Um, if it's, you know, if it's a more established company, they, they most likely have an HR person. So, you know, that's, that's my connection. It's the HR person. And uh, sometimes it's like, let's say the company has no idea about H1B or whatever, any immigration options for their employees, they will tell the employee, well, find an immigration attorney and we'll work with them. So sometimes, you know, that's the, you know, sometimes the employees reach out and then there's like, well, you know, I'll introduce you to my employer. But, you know, legally speaking, uh, my relationship is with the, with the employer. Okay, that, that makes sense. And you work with companies primarily in the U.S., but also uh, in other countries as well, Canada, Mexico, other places. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, so so those are uh, so there are two types. So some are already established companies, so they have an office in uh, you know in Mexico, let's say, and they have office in the United States, and they want to transfer a person from the Mexican office to the United States. So uh, you know it's called intercompany transfer. Mm, so so that's one option. Um, the second one is. Um, it's actually an entrepreneur that uh, they have they have business outside the United States um, and they want to expand into the United States so they don't have anything yet in the United States so uh, they want to transfer themselves into the United States to open up a new office and uh, start a business here in the United States so um, you know those are you know those are very very popular especially for people you know who already run a successful business outside the United States and want to bring either their services or their product um, into the United States um, and uh, you know hire local you know local people here um, so that's you know that's uh, the, the, those are the two types that usually I get involved and the third one is actually you know if it's called an investor visa. So um, this is a little bit more limited because in order to, to work, the United States needs to have a, a treaty with the foreign country, like any type of treaty. And we currently, we have treaties with about, I think it's about a hundred countries, I believe. Um, so, so that's the, you know, that's the entry requirement. I mean, for example, we have treaties, you know, with most of uh, Western Europe, some with Eastern Europe, um, some with the treaties with the Middle East, uh, some of those countries, we don't have a treaty with China or India. So, so that, you know, that program does not apply to, you know, people from China or India. So basically they have to, requirement is the treaty and then they have to make uh, investment. They have to invest around $100,000, either buy a franchise in the United States and run it or start their own business. Um, usually franchise is a better option for people who never run a business before, um, but they, you know, they have some money and then they want to, you know, they want to come to the United States uh, and run a franchise, for example, because franchise, you know, they train you and it's already operating. So it's not as speculative. Um, but there are also others that, you know, they just want to start their own thing and, you know, they have the idea, they have the resources. Uh, so those are fine as well. Do, do you actually refer them to either directly to franchises or to like brokers and things like that? 
Um, so the ones that I've dealt with, they already knew what they want to do. Uh, okay. They, you know, they usually it's, um, you know, especially during COVID, which is very interesting. It was fast food. So I had a few clients that actually bought fast food franchises. So they, you know, they kind of already knew what they wanted to do and they were already sort of, you know, with, uh, you know, with their ideas. So I haven't had the, the need to refer them out to look for a franchise. I see. Okay, you mentioned about um, investment visas, and I'm curious in terms of uh, visa green card options and kind of the, the, the old EB-5 program, kind of where that, where you think that stands. Um, so the old EB-5 program is a mess. Um, so we have a lot of litigation right now. Uh, that's one. Two, it actually, uh, the Congress um, didn't certify it for, for this year. So we are waiting to see if they're going to extend it, um, you know, for, for next year. Um, so it's kind of, you know, um, I usually, I mean, I don't, right now I don't get involved with EB-5. It's just, uh, you cannot predict what's going to happen. And every time you have a lot of litigation along the way, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's not a good sign. So um, it creates a lot of anxiety, especially given the, the amount of money that is being invested. Obviously, you know, it's understandable that people, you know, will be anxious and angry. Um, so, so that's where we are with, uh, with the EB, you know, EB5, that's the regional centers. Uh, now, if you want to do direct investment, that's more, you know, I think it was, you know, a million dollar, dollars where you have to, you know, create your, your own, you know, your own business. Uh, but that's, you know, <laughs> easier said than done. Um, a lot of the EB5s are geared towards, towards the regional centers. Okay. Those are still active, right, or, or not? Yeah, yeah. Well, the regional center, so they have to, so they're not necessarily active right now because, you no, know, they uh, the program expires every year, and the Congress needs to recertify the program. Well, they didn't do that in June. They went on vacation without certifying the program. So now we are waiting, you know, I mean, for them to actually go back and certify it, but they haven't gotten, I mean, they have other things to do right now, so... <laughs> <laughs> and then also the litigation portion is the, it's on the amount of investment. So during you know it used to be five hundred thousand. Then during the Trump administration, uh, it went up to nine hundred thousand. Then um, there was a lawsuit, or multiple lawsuits that were filed, and then the court decided you know it's going to be five hundred thousand. And then now the the um, the current administration is appealing that they want it back to nine hundred thousand. So you know it's. Um, it's a little hectic. Got it. Okay. Uh, it seems to summarize a lot of uh, what you get involved with on the immigration side, a little hectic. <laughs> a little, just a little. <laughs> the visa green card situation then, how would you um, describe that and, and things like, you know, processing times? Uh, you know, what are we talking about these days and is it getting better? Um, so as I mentioned, so delays, delays, delays. So right now uh, we're just asking people to to be patient because uh, you know there's I mean there's nothing I can do to expedite somebody's application. You know, like we don't work for USCIS or the consulate. 
um, I mean, they are processing applications. Obviously, people are filing. It's just it takes longer. So, you know, the proper planning is required, especially if you're in the United States and you have a visa that is expiring, but then at the same time, you have a green card that you're about to file or it's pending already, um, you know, proper planning. Um, and you should be doing proper planning for that. Um, other than that, I mean, it's, you know, nothing really has uh, has changed. Some people uh, have the idea that, you know, because we changed administration and now, you know, the new administration is just like giving green cards left and right. That's not the case. <laughs> you know, it's still, they're still pretty strict. Nothing really has changed on that front. So there is a lot of uh, talk and I see like, you know, different um uh, media platforms, you know, people saying, well, now, you know, we have a new administration, maybe it's easier. No, it's not. Uh, the laws, you know, they haven't changed. The people working for the government, they haven't changed. So uh, on that, you know, whoever is like spreading these rumors, those are wrong. Um, the only thing, you know, well, not the only thing, but at least something uh, positive that we see is more now the government is trying to get slightly more involved with uh, with us as attorneys so we get a little bit better communication in terms of you know what's happening just a little though not like you know nothing nothing crazy out there um and it feels like you know you can you know you can there's some kind of communication channel uh right now a little bit um like for example you know i'm working on actually right now on a um, e2 investor visa with for somebody from Bulgaria uh, and you know I emailed the consulate and within 24 hours you know I have all my answers so that was not exactly the case during you know COVID times um, so you you know I mean we celebrate you know the good things <laughs> <laughs> so there are some good things that's encouraging yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as um, for instance, as employers uh, here in the U.S. that sponsor foreign employees, are there certain things that um, they often make mistakes on? And are there things like, for instance, uh, you know, written policies around how to handle them? Are, are things like that good ideas? And what, what are some of the other things that you generally suggest you know, that they do as they bring in these, these folks? Yeah, so uh, policies, internal policies are, you know, always a great idea, especially for U.S. employers, um, you know, who, who employ foreign nationals. So if you have, even if you have one, but, you know, even if you have, you know, a significant amount of, you know, foreign nationals working for you here in the United States, um, you know, the likelihood of getting an audit at some point is, I mean, it's there, obviously, you know, I mean, any company gets an audit, you know, either from the DOL or from ICE. So uh, one of the things, actually, the most common uh, mistake, I would say, uh, or oversight that, you know, usually happens at the, you know, on the employer side is the I-9, uh, you know, verification. So every time you hire for a national, you have to, well, not a foreign national, anytime, you know, you hire a new 
hire, basically, you're onboarding anybody. You, you have to, as an employer, you have to do I-9 form. Um, basically, that's the, to verify that they have the proper authorization to work. Uh, this applies to, you know, U.S. citizens, permanent residents, you know, anybody that you hire. And, you know, obviously you have to keep the, those records uh, either digitally or at the, at the office. And at some point, ICE will come and audit these. Those are periodic audits. Um, doesn't mean that necessarily you did something wrong. It's just that they come in and they audit your files. And most of the time, either the employer does not have the I-9 or they have them, but they're, you know, like, you know, full with mistakes um so you know and then the the penalty for these are crazy so it's only like a two-page form and it, it, you know they charge you anywhere between 300 to 1500 per mistake and mistake is considered like oh you didn't put the employee's um apartment number um so because that's how they make money <laughs> the, the government but if you have, so let's say you don't have I-9s or you have them, but you know, they're you know, not exactly in a you know, very good condition, but then you also have some kind of a policy, you know, how you hire, who you hire, how you, you know, basically conduct your onboarding. And, you know, you kind of show that to, you know, the government agency, could be ICE, could be DOL, uh, DHS, doesn't matter. Instead of that penalty being $1,000, you know, maybe they'll be like, well, you made a good faith effort actually by having that policy. So maybe we'll, you know, instead of $1,000, uh, we'll charge you 500. So, um, so these, you know, these internal policies, a lot of employers are using it as a, you know, mitigating uh, sort of a mitigating factor when they have the, those audits. Uh, I'm not saying that, you know, you're not going to get like, you know, sanctioned or charged uh, with, you know, all these fees or fines, but at least it's not instead of $100,000, maybe it's going to be 50. Um, so, so that's, you know, always, always a good idea. Also, if you're, you know, if you're a larger employer and then you have foreign nationals uh, that you, you, that you employ foreign nationals, if you um, always remember that it's, you know, offering immigration benefits is a good retention tool as well. And you can hire actually talent that you, you want and you can retain them. So I always, you know, tell employers, you know, don't don't look at that as a, oh, it's just another expense. No, because, you know, once, you know, people, people that are interested in applying for permanent residence, you know, they will work for you. So it's a great retention tool. And when you, you know, when, you, when you're interviewing them and then the employee says, well, I would need sponsorship, and you really want to hire them, then you can talk about your immigration policy, actually show them the immigration policy uh, book that you have uh, internally. And that way, you know, they see that as an employer, you're serious, you know, you're serious about the employee's immigration journey. Got it. You um, are an attorney, um, and it looks like from your LinkedIn profile that you were involved with immigration issues, even in college here in the States. <laughs> You know, was that an accident? And do you, you know, how do you feel about that now in retrospect? You're so knowledgeable and you're, you're right on top of everything, but it's, boy, what, how extremely frustrating, but you seem to still be very passionate and really care about it. Is it the, the clients that really drive kind of what you're doing, you know, keeps that passion going and your interest to stay? And, you know, how, how do you feel about now immigration law and, 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 and your decision uh, so far back to, to stick with it? Yeah, so, um, 
I don't know. I don't know if uh, if I found immigration law or immigration law found me. Well, I mean, you know, I I was forced to actually go through the immigration path anyway, so maybe it found me. I don't know. <laughs> you were forced. Um, but what is that? Um, the thing is, yeah, I mean, one thing is uh, through, you know, through this work, you know, just the people that I meet and the clients, you know, that I interact with, I think that's uh, definitely, you know, the, the driving force because you, you just sometimes, you know, like I look back and I'm like, you know, I've, uh, I work with all these, um, you know, all these clients that actually really, really contribute to, you know, the, the United States. Uh, I mean, just recently, um, you know, people involved with, you know, I had a client with, um, you know, uh, with Pfizer, uh, you know, they were actually involved with uh, distributing the, um, the vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine last year. Um, you know, other scientists that, you know, are, are trying to find cure for cancer, um, who, you know, ju investigative journalists that are publishing. So um, it's just, I mean, the, 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 you know, the diversity of the clients that I work with, um, it's, it's something that, you know, I guess drives me every day and it sort of um, tempers on the, the other, you know, more of the hectic things that happen, but, you know, that's, you know, there's always the drive. <laughs> so no, no regrets, it sounds like. No, yeah, I mean, or maybe you should have asked me, you know, like two years ago, but. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that means it's getting better, right? You're getting a little more satisfaction from it now. Yeah, because you know, you especially you know when you you know when you file cases that you know, I mean, you know, you see that that individual, you know, literally is saving lives as we speak, and uh, you know, it, it gets denied. Well, that's obviously you know, it, it's just it's it's pure insanity. Um, and it, it was happening, you know, in the last four years, I would say. Um, now I feel like, you know, it's a little slightly better in terms of, you know, how things are, you know, looked at. Um, it's not great. I mean, you know, I don't want to sound like, oh, now everybody's like, you know, getting their green cards approved, like, you know, day three. No, that's not the case. But it feels, as I said, it feels, you know, um, a, a little more reasonable. Let's just put it that way. Um, how does it compare, I'm curious, with other countries and maybe in particular Bulgaria in terms of the immigration process? And then on the U.S. side, if you had a magic wand, what would you do to change things? Uh, so to your first question, how it compares to other countries. So, uh, you know, obviously I do U.S. immigration law. I'm not, you know, I don't specialize in other countries. Um, but um, I don't know, people say that, you know, we have it easier than many places. Um, I don't know if it's, if it's true or not. Um, you mentioned, you know, Bulgaria. I think Bulgaria, you know, again, I, I don't know much about it. Uh, only thing I know that they do have this golden visa type of program where, you know, you can buy a citizenship through an investment of some sort. Um, now they do have um, actually something new that just uh, came about. They have now approved the, the, that nomad digital visa thingy where, you know, you can go and work from there for some period of time. Uh, I think other countries also implemented uh, the digital nomad visa during COVID because they wanted people to actually visit their country and uh, countries and uh, boost the tourism. 
Um, so that's, uh, you know, I mean, that's my sort of knowledge of, you know, other, other places. I know it's not easy. It's never easy. I mean, it's, you know, no country, you know, can just like opens the door and says, okay, you know, everybody, everybody can come in. Uh, but you have to be, you know, you have to be reasonable. And that's, you know, if, uh, if I had a magic wand, I mean, there are things that I, you know, probably would, you know, do here in the United States. Like, for example, anybody that graduates with a PhD, they, they, they should be, I mean, they should have like a green card stamped in their passport. Um, interesting idea. Great idea. <laughs> Radical, I don't know, but seriously, I mean, and if anybody, you know, spends that, you know, that much money into, you know, into the education system in the in the United States and contributes, um, they, you know, they should, they should be, yeah, they should have their, you know, green card stamp. Uh, yeah. Let's not forget that only, I mean, last statistic that I remember, only one percent in the, you know, the population of the United States um, has a, a PhD degree. Only one percent. A doctorate. So the, you want to. Got it. Huh? The other 1%. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's not the, you know, that's not the other 1%. That's the people with PhD. <laughs> they usually don't fall into the IRS 1%. <laughs> bracket but you know that's you know that's one thing that i i mean you know i would support um it's just that it just you know it just makes sense you know instead of helping these people to actually stay here if they want to stay you know sometimes going through you know some of these immigration immigration processes you know discourages people so uh, and you want to give the option for them to to stay here so that's you know that's one thing that i would Okay, well, great idea. What what do you think about these e-residency programs like with Estonia and other countries where they're encouraging people to come in, right, and to, and to live? Uh, we don't have anything like that, right? Yeah, we US. don't. So the other things, the other thing that I would, I would do if I could um, is some kind of a um, startup visa. United States does not have a startup visa. And a lot of, I mean, you know, a lot of people don't, don't really understand that in terms of, you know, I would have clients who say, well, you know, can I apply for a startup visa? And I'm like, we don't have one. You know, we, you know, depending on, you know, your profile, depending on what you want to do, we have to slot you into one of the other visas like you know either investor visa or you know work visa or whatever you know else is available but that's but we don't have a startup visa necessarily um so that's what and that's what the other countries are capitalizing on looking into you know how how much interest you know people have from other parts of the world um, in you know developing a startup or, uh, you know, starting their own company, but, you know, United States is not welcoming that necessarily. So you have Estonia and other places looking, it's like, well, I mean, maybe we can attract these people to come in and, you know, have access to the European Union and start developing, you know, their, their company and helping us with, uh, with the economy. So, uh, I think what they're doing is great. Uh, as I said, I don't know the details for these programs. I know that they exist. And I know that, you know, that was probably the primary uh, reason they wanted to have these programs because they wanted to boost their own local economy. We do have the, uh, what, what was, what were they calling it? So it's the entrepreneur parole or something like that the United States um, has. Uh, but it's so limited. I mean, it's really like probably five people will qualify for this. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, so that's not the, you know, that's not the idea. You don't want to put out a program that, you know, sounds great, but then when you actually start like going, uh, going through the regulations, literally like five people will qualify. So that, that's, I mean, you know, it's, it's just, it's a waste. Wow. Okay. Yeah. We did talk about that recently and it sounded really great. So I did. <laughs> Amazing idea. Amazing idea. Uh, but it's like, yeah, I mean, you have to have a government funding, you know, like, uh, what was it, 250000 or something like that. Um, it's, again, who, you know, like um, an entrepreneur who is about to start, you know, their journey, they don't have that. So how, you know, they're automatically disqualified. Got it. What about issues and um, like, you know, they, they come to the U.S. and they can't, they can't buy a car or rent a car because they don't have credit. I mean, do you get involved in stuff like that where just uh, living is difficult for these people too, right? Yeah, so I don't because, you know, I just, you know, I'm not first into, you know, I don't know how to help them with these problems, but there are companies um, and credit unions that okay. specialize in uh, giving credit to people, um, you know, foreign nationals, or usually it's actually employee foreign employees that come and work for a U.S. company. So uh, okay. they are credit unions out there that they contract with the employer themselves. So that is offered, um, you know, as a packet benefit packet to the employee to the foreign employee. Uh, you know, in addition to their healthcare and you know all of the uh, you know the four one case and so forth. So that's that's additional benefit that some company companies here offer to their employees. Got it. Okay. I think one of them is a member there in Dallas at Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I forget the, I forget the name. Uh, Ad Adventure. Adventure. I know, I know it was uh, starting with an A. Yeah. So they're a great example. So, but I don't think that, I'm not sure if they work directly with individual employees or they actually uh, work more with, uh, with companies. So they are like a vendor to the company and then, uh, you know, the company offers that service to the employee. So um, I think they were more, uh, you know, uh, they had a relationship with the companies more than okay. with individuals. Okay, great. You know, and if anybody out there is interested, let let us know um, because they they do good work, and I forgot about that. Mm -hmm. um, Afghanistan, it's a uh, boy, um, it's it's a mess, um, and you're involved. I I've got to believe, right? I mean, just out of the goodness of your heart and trying to do the right thing. Tell us more about kind of what you're seeing and. Um, how you're involved and maybe you know, make some suggestions for others to if there are ways to get involved. Uh, yeah, so so I'm uh, I'm involved, of course. <laughs> um, so I was, so I'm involved that sort of uh, on you know 100% uh, pro bono basis. So we don't so, you know we don't charge clients for you know services that you know we provide to you know Afghan nationals. Um, it is, it is a mess. Um, it, is, it is hard because we don't necessarily, it's you know, one of those areas where you know, we don't really have any uh, legal means to, to help. So we have to go you know, outside our, you know, the, I shouldn't say outside the law because that would sound illegal, but basically, basically we don't have any legal means to, to help these people. So, uh, at that point, then we start calling, you know, who do we know? <laughs> 
you know, who, who, you know, our local representatives, you know, Congress people, uh, you know, people, senators, um, others within the Department of State, um, Global Chamber, <laughs> for one of, you know, for one of my, uh, you know, one of my clients that we had a uh, pending asylum application. Um, and I can share that because, you know, that's actually uh, on the, you know, CBS News already, you know, we did a story about it. Um, so it's public information. Uh, we, um, you know, we had a pending asylum application for them. Um, and I needed a, uh, you know, I needed a uh, letter, a recommendation letter from uh, military, U.S. military uh, personnel uh, or person who has actually worked in, in Iraq or has been into Afghanistan. Um, and, you know, I reached out to, you know, everybody. And of course, you know, the, the global chamber helped with a connection. So kudos to that. Yeah. My clients got approved. So, you know, they, they got their asylum. So that, that's good. They're here, you know, sound and safe. <laughs> Um, so, so the, this is the extent to, you know, which we have to go in order to, you know, help, you know, help the, you know, the Afghan refugees. Now, the challenge is we have people and I have like, I'm looking here at my file folders, we have at least 10 families now that are in Afghanistan hiding, <laughs> literally hiding, uh, trying to get out of the, out of Afghanistan somehow. Uh, and that's that's the part that we don't know how because uh, they have to now obviously US is out and now they're only like you know private rescue groups uh, other NGOs on the ground that are helping people and putting them on private planes private jets whoever is out there to get them to a third country like Pakistan uh, Turkey in order for us then to file for their parole. But that, you know, we can file only uh, once they're outside of Afghanistan. So the challenge is getting out of the Afghanistan. Um, so these families, uh, they are, they actually worked uh, for the US military. Uh, and now they're targets, you know, the, of the Taliban. And all of them, uh, to my knowledge, are currently hiding somewhere, and they're going from place to place uh, to so that you know they cannot track them. Uh, one of them, uh, and I kid you not, I even have the picture. Obviously, I'm not going to share it. Uh, one of them got actually he got the kidnapped by the Taliban, and um, they um, sent me a picture of basically the Taliban pointing guns on you know his head and all that. So he managed to escape all that, but now obviously he can, you know, in hiding. Um, so, so those are the, I mean, those are the challenges because as I said, there's no legal means for me to say, okay, these people need to get on a plane. There's nothing like that. So now the, you know, the challenge is reaching out to congressmen uh, or, uh, you know, women's offices, uh, senators, department of state. Um, I mean, anybody and everybody that you can think of. <laughs> So that we can get their information to them, to the Department of State, so that they can get the information to whoever organization is down on the on the ground, in order for these people to actually board the plane to either, uh, as I said, uh, I mean, uh, Pakistan, Turkey, UAE, any third country that will that has a U.S. Um, you know U.S. consulate, so that we can process from there. Okay, and so that's what I'm involved with. The hope is 
they would get out by plane or across the border? And it depends. Uh, so it depends if it's a neighboring country, they can, you know, but somebody needs to escort them. So these are almost like uh, covert operations. I don't, I don't know like exactly what happens. And, you know, some people tell me, well, you know, they cannot tell you how exactly they're going to get them out. And I'm like, I'm not interested in how they're going to get as long as they get out. Like, you know, you don't have to share with me, you know. Um, because they can cannot just like walk across the border, so it has to be done in a specific way so that they're not targeted. Got it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so how how can people get involved then? Um, I, you don't mind somebody contacting you and asking you a question of how they can help? I'm sure. Um, yeah, I mean they are. Um, yeah, so there are organizations and nonprofits out there that are currently focused on the, the, the you know, Afghan uh, refugee crisis okay. um, in different, you know, different ways. So uh, once they come to the United States, um, then they actually, uh, they have to stay, they put them on a uh, army basis. One is in DC uh, or around DC somewhere. And one is down in Texas to 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 get processed because a lot of you know a lot of a lot of these people you know they 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 don't have a clearance right background checks so they put them uh, on those army bases in tents here in the United States and then they process them for like you know thirty days or sixty days they stay on the on the army base until all the background checks clear. So once they, you know, once they're processed, then they relocate them uh, to, you know, other, you know, other places or some, some of them have relatives or friends that they know. And then, you know, obviously their journey starts in the United States or they have to apply for, uh, you know, immigration paperwork. Um, of course, that is, you know, that is expensive. So some of the, those nonprofits uh, fundraise for the fees for the, the paperwork because it, for the filing, it's about five hundred dollars, I believe, for uh, parole or around around that amount. And uh, some of, I mean, most of the, you know, most of the refugees, they they don't. I mean, some of them don't even have like you know um, shoes. I mean, some of them really come barefoot. Um, so that's you know that's one aspect of helping in terms of once they are here. Um, what, you know, what I am doing, and I mean, I don't have a nonprofit or anything. I just do it because I got connected here with the community. So it's just, you know, kind of, um, I'm just trying to find people within the U.S. government <laughs> that actually have the, you know, have the, the power and can pull strings to, you know, help with, uh, you know, uh, getting them out of the, out of the Afghanistan. Okay. Just a, a, a couple more questions. One is maybe kind of an overarching one in terms of, you know, we've talked about a lot of different topics today. Is there anything that we left out or is there anything else that you'd uh, like to share um, on immigration, on business law or anything else that we may have uh, either overlooked or you just want to be able to communicate? Um, I think we covered, you know, we covered a lot. Um, in terms of you know in terms of immigration i always you know always tell people don't forget you know uh us is open for business you know so even even with the current hiccups you know to say the least with the delays and all that us is always open to business 
and there's always opportunities here. Uh, so, um, you know, some people get a little uh, intimidated or scared when they hear, you know, the, oh, you have to wait for your visa, for example, like six months or five months. Um, you know, that if you, you know, if you really truly want to come to the United States and do business, you know, five or six months in the long run is nothing. So it's, you know, just part of the process. So, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, I, I come out as, I, you know, everything is, you know, super hard and, you know, no, it's not. It's just that, you know, I, you know, I share that with clients so that they're prepared. So they don't call me and say, well, you didn't tell me that, but that doesn't mean that you have to get scared or, you know, uh, first, well, you'll get frustrated, but, you know, you kind of have to expect the, the, you know, that that's part of the process. So that's that's my you know um, two cents there. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Of um, how about sharing something about uh, Bulgaria? You're involved with uh, the U.S. Bulgarian <laughs> Chamber in America. You just opened up or helped open up a, a chapter in Miami, and I know I saw Lanier Robbins of Global Chamber Miami there as well. Uh, you're involved in the in the homeland. You're involved here with Bulgarians. Tell us a little bit about Bulgaria that something we should know. Um, yeah, so so I'm involved with, with that as well. Um, that's why sometimes 24 hours is not enough. Um, but working on that. <laughs> You're on the board of directors, I think. Of the uh, I'm on the advisory, advisory board and uh, legal advisor as well. Um, so the US Bulgarian Chamber um, is based in DC. Uh, it started, uh, it was founded in 2020. Uh, guess what right before COVID <laughs> so um, you know um, during during the you know obviously 2020 um, meetings were not possible uh, in-person meetings so we did a lot of you know a lot of sort of reaching out through zoom a lot of uh, webinars uh, conferences you know virtual um, and kind of I mean you know we kind of got it going um, so so now the we just, as you mentioned, opened a chapter, the first chapter in Miami uh, just last weekend. Um, and the goal is basically to strengthen the, the bilateral uh, relationship between the United States and, uh, and Bulgaria. Now, having said that, also, uh, you know, we do work with other countries in Europe. So the, the goal is to help, you know, US, uh, US businesses going, let's say, to Bulgaria to establish presence or or in Europe. Uh, so that's, you know, that's kind of the, the main goal of the chamber. And of course, you know, businesses uh, and companies from Bulgaria coming to the to the United States. Um, so so that's the, you know, that's the main goal of the of the chamber. Um, and so far, you know, we have, uh, you know, we have new members. So that's, you know, that's, that's very, you know, very good. Uh, we just had the bias system joining as a member, the, con the defense contractor company. Uh, we had uh, a wine producer in Bulgaria that joined us, um, who will be importing wine into the United States. Um, so it's, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty busy on that, on that front as well. <laughs> oh, we love to collaborate with uh, that chamber and Elise Nestorov, who's the leader there. And thank you for your leadership, both uh, in the U.S. Bulgarian chamber in America and also the global chamber. Uh, uh, it happens to be your home base in Dallas, but clearly yes. you're a global
global person, uh, Americans, Bulgarians, and whoever else Everyone. is necessary Everyone. to help. <laughs> um, and and that, that's a great spirit uh, and certainly representative of the global tribe and you've taken mm -hmm. it to the next level. So thank you for all that you do. Thank you for taking the time today. You are, you know, as amazing every time you just exceed yourself. So thank you so much for uh, all that you've shared, all that you do. And uh, uh, we look forward to uh, next steps in terms of working together um, and supporting, continuing to support uh, your growth. Thanks for your time today. Thank you, Doug, and thank you, Global Chamber. Uh, my, my pleasure. Thanks. Take care. Have a, have a great day. Bye-bye.